our, our teams, our praise teams, the, the youth, the 1825, the Spanish praise team, the praise team you saw up here this morning, they all did different sets of music. It was just inspiring and awesome. We prayed in song to our God, and then we prayed in word as some men led us in prayers of specific areas of missions and children and, and our church, and it was, it was wonderful. Um, we handed out prayer cards, just a, a little handout to take home and, and put on the refrigerator or put in the, in the mirror in your bathroom. Just reminds you to, you know, continue to pray for camp and mission teams and, and the pastor search and just a bunch of good stuff. Pick one of those up on your way out, please, this morning. When the Spanish team, praise team, sang, that it rocked this place. It was incredible. Wasn't that true? Yes, it was. It was excellent. Next Sunday... Sunday the 18th, Father's Day, one big combined service. The English and the Spanish uh, church, all of us together in one place. The, the praise teams intermingled. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Pastor William over there is going to bring a great message in regards to Father's Day and, and the meaning of your, your significance as fathers. I hope you'll come back and share that time together with us. One more thing, please, before... We look at the scripture. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the Pulse Massacre. 49 lives taken that day. A year ago, it was a Sunday morning as we were gathering to worship. And those 49 lives are no less or more important than any other lives that are lost due to violence and other forms of tragedy. It's just that when there were so many of them so close to us, it, it reminded us, I think, of the intensity of evil, which ought to make us overwhelmingly thankful for the immensity of the love of God. But a year is not a very long time. Time heals all wounds. Well, I suppose, but not a year. And those folks are still wounded. So I would just ask you, would you join me this morning? Let's just remember them. Tomorrow's going to be a hard day for them. Let's lift them up in prayer. Father, I don't know any of those people. I see their names. I, I can pray about the family of the names. But Lord, you know each and every one of those families. And we're just asking this morning. We're going to intercede for a community that may not know how to intercede for itself. Lord God, would you have your Holy Spirit draw them to Jesus, comfort them in a way they've never experienced that is only found in you and points to you and glorifies you. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue our, our message from last Sunday. We did part one of The Life I Now Live. And part two is the same scripture, so uh, we're going to take a look at the scripture, please, with me, and then we'll quickly review parts one and two, and then we'll get on to what I want to share with you this morning. Galatians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas, uh, Greek word for, for Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him, this is Paul, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Oh, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So last week, in part one, we talked about the gospel in order. This was a, there are three elements of the gospel. Paul says... You believe, you place faith in Jesus Christ. And when you believe, you are saved by that act of faith and the grace of God. And, and out of the abundance of that relationship with God, you, you obey. The problem in Antioch was that there were men who had come from Jerusalem. They were believers in Jesus Christ, but yet they said, believing absolutely in the Jesus who died on the cross, very, very important, very, very important. He died for our sins, but, but you must completely obey the law also, and then these two together mean that you'll be saved. And Paul says, don't you understand that this order, that I believe in Jesus, but then I work very, very hard to obey the law before I have any confidence of being saved and of right standing with God. Do you understand how burdensome that is? Do you understand how anxious that's going to make you be? Our children explained to us last Sunday, they said, I don't want to be born and be told by my parents I have to obey all of their rules before they'll accept me and love me as a child. And Paul says, that's exactly the same way it is with the real gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we believe, we are saved, and out of the abundance of that new life comes obedience. The gospel in order, very, very important. Then we talked about, we talked about the gospel in daily life. We recall that Peter was a Jew, and, and like the Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years, Jew, Peter okay, was very intentional uh, about keeping all of the Jewish law, the Ten Commandments, pretty plain, all the ceremonial and, and clean laws about food and things they could and could not touch, and the sacrificial laws. Peter kept them all. Jesus had tried to give them all, all the disciples, a teaching, a hint, if you will. It was a clear teaching. They just didn't understand that, no, 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 you don't understand. Now that I'm here and about to do what I'm going to do, okay, I fulfill all of those. Yes, you, you know, the Ten Commandments are 
are still good. The principles of God are still good. But I'm going to fulfill all those things when I, when I die. Uh, and he talks about it. They don't, no, they don't quite get it. And they're still thinking, well, okay, so maybe he's going to die for us Jews because we're the chosen people. And Jesus was saying, no, no. You're all equally sinful before God, and you're all going to be equally redeemed. And they, they, they didn't get that. Peter, remember, he got the vision then because he's going to have a tasking. God has arranged for a Gentile, and we had Gentile defined for us last week, didn't we? Does anybody remember what Joshua Jr. told us a Gentile? What's a Gentile? Not a Jew. Man, I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Didn't he do a good job? Okay, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, and that's pretty much everybody else. Okay, but but uh, God really wants to make sure that Peter understands, you know, that the gospel is for everyone, and so he he has a, a Jewish, I mean, a Gentile centurion, a soldier, send for Peter, and he tells Peter in a vision, uh, you, you know, I want you to go talk to this Gentile. And Peter's going, no, I don't, I don't do Gentile, okay? And God sends him a vision of a net that has all these animals in it, all the animals that were clean and unclean in his hundreds of years of Jewish heritage. And God says to Peter, pick one, eat them, and it's all good. And he says, no, God, I don't eat unclean. And God says, you don't understand. I declare it all clean. Ah, Peter gets it now. God shows no favoritism. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so he travels to Antioch, full of Jews. It's not a, I mean, full of Gentiles. It's not a Jewish community. And he goes and he eats dinner regularly. He's in their homes and enjoying food. And that's just what God intended. And it worked out fine until a group of people, the circumcision group, came from Jerusalem. And they're the same guys that were saying, no, this is the order. And they were pretty bold about their stand, and they were pretty impressive because they were teachers and leaders. As soon as they blew into Antioch, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. Paul shows up, and Paul says to Peter in a direct confrontation with him, very public, he says, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. What you're doing, and he doesn't say you not eating with the Gentile. He just says your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Apparently, you forgot the gospel. Now, Paul makes a very clear delineation of what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says the gospel is the following things. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8, tell us the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, sealed up in a tomb. He was raised on the third day, according to the scripture, and he appeared to more than 500 people. That is the facts of the gospel. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Peter knew the facts of the gospel. He had lived them out and experienced them. He knew the facts. But what Paul is saying is, Peter, the gospel is more than a statement of facts that we recite. The gospel is alive and vibrant, and it must affect and impact daily life. It's the, it's the lens, it's the worldview through which you see all of the activities of your day, including whether you do or do not eat with the Gentiles. Paul is, Paul is trying to tell Peter, and then you and, me, you and I also, he's just saying it's, it's like music. 
The folks we saw on the stage earlier, they know music. They know notes, they know rhythms, they know all, they know music. They're learned people. They know the facts of music. But when you saw some of them singing this morning, they know the music, don't they? Isn't there a difference between that? I know how to do the music. And that's sometimes the recitation of the facts of the gospel, but those people knew the music. And Paul says the gospel's like that. It impacts and influences every part of daily life. He says, Peter, when you stopped eating with the Gentile believers, your conduct was no longer in step with the truth of the gospel. And then we just had a moment last week where we imagined Paul sneaking in the back door as a visitor and stepping up on the stage at the end and and confronting you and me, talking to us about our behaviors and saying, you know what, Jim? As I reflect on things you did and said this week, you're not living in the truth of the gospel. Now today I want to look at the gospel in my heart. The gospel in my heart. Let's look again at verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one is justified. Three times, look at it, three times, Paul says no one can be justified by doing the law. You don't get good standing by obeying all of the things that were listed in the Old Testament. And three times, and three is kind of that number of emphasis and completion. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? You, pay, you know, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? And three times he, he highlights the indispensable requirement of placing one's faith, belief in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to change the boxes a little. Because Paul says, when you believe, you are justified. There's a big word, and out of justification is going to come some, some obedience out of the flow of the, the reality of what this means is going to come some obedience. Well, what is justification? Justification is a sermon topic that Art could preach on for, I don't know, seven or eight months. Okay, so we'll, we'll give it 70 seconds. But this is it, okay? The concept is really, really big, but let's just give it a simple definition that I think we can, you know, we can all grasp. When Jesus died on the cross... You and I were justified. Believers, when you place your faith in Jesus, you're declared to be just and righteous. Okay, I get that. Let's, let's say it a different way. You and I stand to be tried before a holy judge, and we are guilty. You know that. He knows that. I know that. If you're watching, if you're there, you know that most of the time. You stand before, to be tried before a holy judge and you are guilty and everyone knows it and totally out of surprise and overwhelming, he says, but I acquit you of all charges. Not guilty. God doesn't say you didn't do them. God doesn't say I didn't see them. God says, I saw them all, but I acquit you of all charges because I find you in Christ. You are in right standing with me. And that's one of the things we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. That, wow, when I believed, I was saved. That's a good word, but 
I was also justified. And the righteous judge who has every right to smoke me at the base of the throne says, stand up and give me a hug because you're in good standing with me. Ah, right? Justification's incredible. But you know, I'd like to take you to another area. I'd like to have you consider with me an aspect of justification that perhaps you haven't thought of before. Tony Schwartz co-authored Donald Trump, The Art of the Deal, which means that Tony Schwartz had some kind of really intimate understanding and relationship with a billionaire. And he wrote an article for the New York Times that is entitled, The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value. The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value. Let me, let me read just a portion of it right out of the article. Why does Michael Phelps keep returning to a brutal training regimen in the pool long after he's achieved every imaginable accolade as a swimmer? Why do men who have earned hundreds of millions of dollars, even billions, wonder we had in mind, work relentlessly to earn even more long after it could possibly make any material difference in their lives? And why does a substantial group of politicians with no remote chance of being elected president feel compelled to transverse the, the country campaigning 18 hours a day at a very expensive cost for more than two years. As little as these very people have in common, their shared core hunger is for value. Once our basic needs are met, we human beings arguably crave value above all else. We each want desperately to matter to feel a sense of worthiness. Why, that's the end of the article excerpt, why is it an enduring, almost desperate hunt? Because we all fear we don't matter. We all fear we don't have real value. We all fear we don't have worth. Now you may say, not me. Well, maybe not you here. Maybe not you in front of people. But I know some of the stuff that goes through my mind when I sit alone. And I spoke with some of you this morning, and you shared with me. Some in this room wonder if they have value right now because of things that have happened to them in the last week. Do I matter? What, the things that have occurred to me in the last week seem to indicate I don't. We're, we're looking for that desperate, I want to matter. I want to have real value. I want to have worth. And, some, and, and we need to do something about it. So we find, our, we find places and people and things that seem to give us that. Take Peter. Take Peter. In a moment when Peter was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he looked at other people, the Gentiles, who were different, and all of a sudden he feels and acts like he's better. Look, circumcision group, I'm not like those Gentiles. I'm better. I'm more valuable. I don't eat with them. Man, Paul calls him on that in a heartbeat and says, you're not living in step with the truth of the gospel. Well, like Peter, um, it wasn't an intentional thing. I don't think Peter, you know, sat around in the morning and goes, man, how can I really upset the Gentiles? Oh, I know. I'll call them out. It wasn't intentional. 
he may not even really been aware that he was doing it. Much like you and I are not very often very aware of this, this thing inside that says, I want to matter, I want to have value, I want to have worth. Maybe until somebody calls us on it. We're busy justifying ourselves. We're busy justifying our existence. Look, I matter. I have significance. I have worth. And I care what you say. And I care what you think. Because the only way I sense right now I can have worth and significance and matter is if you affirm me or do things. I, wow, what a horrible place to be. So what's the answer to the enduring hunt? I mean, well, obviously somebody needs to go around and call us out on our specific behaviors. Okay, stop doing that, and you'll be in truth with the line of the, with the you'll be in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul could have done that to Peter. He, remember, he didn't go for the specific; he went for the heart. You've forgotten the gospel. You're not living in step with the truth of the gospel. He went. He didn't say. Man, you're being a racist. Look at the way you're, you've stepped out of eating with the Gentiles. Stop being a racist. That's, that's not what the gospel's all about. He didn't, he didn't call out the specific behavior. Why not? Well, because like most of us, Paul, I mean, Peter probably would have said, oh my, oh wow, okay, I'm going to go eat with the Gentiles. See, I'm eating with the Gentiles now. Or maybe he would have just said, oh, I, I, that, that's, I'll go do something else. Because see, he could change a specific behavior for a moment, for a season. But until that sense inside of worth and value got resolved, he was just going to find something new. Why do you work? Why do you go to your job? Well, because we need money. Yeah, I know. That's why I did 26 years in the Navy, because we needed money. And, and it, but I'll tell you, there was a whole lot about my job as a man that was about my worth and value in those years. Why, why do I play sports? Why do I go to the gym? Why do I, why do I need romantic relationships? Why do I need relationships even though they're not good for me? Why is it so important for me to be the perfect parent in the eyes of all that are watching? See, it just goes on and on and on. You don't, we don't know we're doing it. We even have often very good intentions, but we're down here trying to answer this, the enduring hunt for personal value. So what's the answer to the enduring hunt? To call you out on all your specific behaviors? No. To stop looking to people and things for justification, we need the gospel. Because when I believe and I'm justified... I automatically have worth and value instantly. It happens this fast. I believe I'm justified. I instantaneously have worth and value. The gospel is the only form of worthiness and value that is not earned or achieved. All the rest of it. I'm doing something to get you to acknowledge me. I'm doing something to get you to validate me. And, and the gospel is the only form of worth and value and significance and mattering that you and I don't earn or achieve. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not based on what you and I do. It's based on what Jesus did. 
Unlike any other form of personal identity, the gospel is the end of the enduring hunt. It's the end of the struggle to matter and to have value. But Pastor Jim, you're thinking, I I hear what you're saying, but I'm still driven by my work. I realize I'm involved in unhealthy relationships. Poor choices, but Jim, I I need to feel superior. I I need to feel needed. Well, if Paul were here this morning, he would be saying to you and to me, you believe the gospel in your head. You've got the facts. But it hasn't penetrated to your heart yet. It's like going to a vending machine, pulling out your coin, sticking it up in the slot, and it goes, gee. Until that coin drops, nothing comes out. You got it up here. We're just waiting for the coin to drop to where you recognize until you know that you no longer need to justify yourself to God because you're already justified by him, declared not guilty, nor do I need to justify myself to those around me because Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you, how much more do you need to understand that you matter and that you have worth and you have significance, and if you'll keep talking to me, you'll understand you have purpose. Paul said to Peter, remember the gospel. You don't have a right to feel superior, Peter. Oh, but you also don't have a need to feel superior. Get to the heart of the matter. Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, his, his comments about verse 14 is this. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is that we who know this article well teach it to others and beat it into their heads continuously. Now that's pretty spiritual. (laughs) But he's right. We need to beat it into each other's heads continually. Continually. I believe I'm saved, and out of that abundance comes a life that glorifies God. I believe, and I'm justified before the throne of God, and I'm justified before you, and I live a life that has worth and value because of what Jesus did. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are in Christ, but we need to live in the world. You're in Jesus. He's your life, your identity, your value, but the life you and I must still live reveals that Christ is our life. That's living in step with the truth of the gospel. The gospel changes your identity. I've been crucified with Christ. Your attitude, your view of life, the very motivations of your heart, the gospel changes everything. Men, if you'd come forward, those who are going to be helping with the Lord's Supper. I'm using mic two. 
We're going to share the Lord's Supper together this morning. However, it is a, it is a deeply personal time. One of our elders, Ryan Seipler, is on travel right now, but each of the other four elders are going to come. Are going to come and share just a thought. Uh, I want you to get to know these men, and so I said, would you please, would you guys come and share why this table is so important to you? Uh, Wow, I got them all in a row. This is great. Randy, would you please? Thank you, sir. When I think about communion and celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper together, 1 Corinthians 11, 26 says, As often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Yes. And so I, as I read that this week, I was just reminded that this celebration has an aspect of looking back on his death but it's also looking forward upon his return and that his death means our destinies changed. His sacrifice means we have security as believers. His ransom that he paid means one day we'll have a reunion with him. And so as I partake in communion, I celebrate because it's looking back on what he's done, but it's looking ahead to all the benefits and all that we get to partake in because of his death. And that gives me great reason to celebrate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Um, I, I think there's three aspects um, of the communion that um, affect me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the uh, aspect that, uh, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross uh, because when he died on the cross, uh, he conquered sin. And then when he rose from the grave three days later, he conquered death. And so for me, looking back at what he did, um, I take um, great uh, joy in the fact that uh, he conquered sin and death, and he has victory. And because I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I claim that victory. So that's the, the past aspect of it. Then there's the present so when I take communion today, um, for me, it shows that I'm in Jesus Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, um, I'm communing with him, and I'm united with Jesus. Um, but then there's the future aspect that Randy talked about, and, and that is we're, we're not having a, a, t- a period of mourning here. We're, we're having a period of celebration. And the celebration is, folks, he's coming back. That's right. And, and the joy the celebration that we do here is, is just like a mini rehearsal, but one day he's going to come back and we are going to celebrate like no other celebration ever in history because our king is coming back. Amen. Amen. Joseph. Um, I mean, most of the stuff the gentleman just mentioned, um, I concur with that. Um, for me, the communion is a very special thing, um, specifically for my family. I know during Christmas, you know, um, we spend a lot of time with gifts and so on. So I've had opportunity to um, reflect on this time with my family during communion. And what it means to us is 
we, we have so much distraction in the world. And for Jesus to, to give everything for us as parents, I think it's important that we reflect on what Jesus did and what Jesus is um, also um, want us as parents to um, put up on our children going forward and around their settings and so on. So to me, Jesus', is, um, Jesus death means a lot. It means a lot to us, and we should never forget it. So doing communion, that, that's what comes on me, and I just want to share that. It's important that going to the future, too, we should in, um, put that up on our family as well. So when I, uh, I, I grew up in a much more formal uh, religious tradition, and so what strikes me is kind of the mix of simplicity and ceremony. So we, we break out the really shiny, fancy stuff for communion, and, and we tend to invest it with a lot, uh, a lot of ceremony, even in a church like this. But it's such a simple thing. So it's a reminder, I mean, just breaking bread, and I mean, it's something you would do in common. It, you know, it started at a simple dinner with the disciples. So the fact that, uh, that the Lord reminds us of his covenant every time we do just a very simple thing, and, and that's what strikes me in communion. Thank you. Okay. Good. Gentlemen, please. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and, and accepted him as Lord and Savior, then this, this time is for you. And we'd invite you to join us. The men are going to distribute the emblems. If you would please take a, one of the pieces of un, unleavened bread and a, and a cup and please just hold it and we'll partake of it together as they did around the table with Jesus. If you are on this side of the auditorium, you can probably hear the children in the back. And that's good. We shared the Lord's Supper together as children's ministry volunteers this morning. And we reminded ourselves that we don't fully understand the depth of the love of Christ, but have been given an awesome opportunity to teach children about Jesus. 
I'm looking forward to the day when those children are sitting in here with us because they placed their faith in Jesus Christ because of what parents and children's ministry workers are doing. We have a few more, but has everyone been served that desires to be served? If not, just, if we missed you somehow, just raise your hand. Thank you for your patience and your unity in this moment. Paul had to correct a church because 
they would not wait for one another. Thank you for doing that. Jesus talked about his body that was going to be hung and brutalized on a cross to remind us that it is his body that took the pain and the suffering. If you are feeling hurt and pain and wounded, Jesus took that when you were in him. I am in Christ Jesus. And then he talked about his blood because the teaching of the scripture was that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus said, Peter, we're not going to do this every year at a temple. I'm going to do it once for all time, for all people. Let's partake of the body. the blood of Christ. I apologize for sharing long. I really wanted you to understand your worth and value as celebrated here. We're going to do one more thing and then we're going to close in prayer. Uh, Mr. Bailey Marks, if you would make your way this direction, please. If you are going to Colombia, there's two important things that are happening. Well, there's a lot of important things. There's two really big things that are happening between now and next Sunday. If you're going to Colombia, would you please come up and join me here? If you're leaving on the mission trip with Avalon to Colombia this coming Friday, would you come please stand here? And while they're coming, if you're going to youth camp as a youth or as a worker, would you come stand over here, please? Leaving this Friday, going to Colombia to serve for a week. Man, we've been, we've been to Japan. We've been the, uh, all over the world. We're going to Colombia. We're going to Mexico. But this, this team of folks here, and you youth can spill over around here. That's good. Okay. And then our young people leaving on multitude of vans tomorrow to go to camp, and it's going to make all the difference in their lives. And we just want to pray this morning for them. I've asked Bailey Marks. He 
comes in, he sits very quietly in the back, but he is an awesome presence in the kingdom of God. This man has served 50 years in Christian ministry. It was then called Campus Crusade for Christ. It was a presence of evangelistic people with a heart for Jesus on the campuses around our nation. It's only appropriate that Bailey would pray for students. And then Camps Crusade grew, and it's known as Crew now, into a worldwide, worldwide mission ministry, and Bailey's been a part of that. You ought to take him to lunch sometime. He's got stories to tell. But it's appropriate for him to pray for our mission team. So I'm going to just have you be seated. Bailey's going to pray for these two groups of people and anything else he wants to because he's got the microphone. <laughs> and when he's done praying, we're, we're done. We're going to end on prayer. You can wander on up. In fact, if you want to wander on up and pray for, with these people as Bailey prays, you feel free to do that. But when, Bailey, when Bailey's done, we're done celebrating Jesus today. We got something. It says two. Could you grab me a mic, please? Are we good? Well then let's make let's make good. Anything that's good. Hello. Can you hear me now? Well, I can pray loud. <laughs> and the Lord will hear me. This is an exciting time, really, to look at this group of people and realize that you heard the Lord say, Who shall I send? And you know, this is now the Lord send me. sow seeds and in the gospel we're told that the fields are white unto harvest and that we're to pray for the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest field and you have responded to that and so heavenly father I thank you for this group of individuals who have been willing 
to sacrifice in certain many different ways, but at the same time to be able to be used by you in a mighty way as they go and sow seeds throughout the world. And I pray that those seeds will germinate, and it may be months or years before the, some of them do, but we know that you're faithful that all of your seeds will someday germinate and turn into ripe fruit. And so we just pray that you'll bless them, keep them safe, give your angels charge over them, and not allow any of them to be attacked. And keep them healthy and strong, and do not let the epidemic spread through the crowd, anything like that, but just keep them healthy so that each and every day as they arrive, arise and they look out to the harvest field, that they will be rejoice, be able to rejoice because they have responded to you. And so I pray all of these things in the matchless and the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And to our teams and our youth. And we'll see you next Sunday. Combined service, Spanish, English, exciting Father's Day. Share it with us.